Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the First Baptist Church. We come today to worship our God, and we're glad that you're here with us. And if you would look for that red pew pad, sign it and pass it along, we would greatly appreciate record of your attendance with us today. I'd like to highlight a couple things from the bulletin. Next week after the worship service, we're having a covered dish dinner. Uh, we will provide the place setting and the drinks. But the purpose of this meal is we're it's to uh, <clears throat> recall and reflect and to celebrate the day of Pentecost, the, the birthday of the modern church. Okay, so that's what we're doing next week. So we invite you to come and join us as we have a time of fellowship. And we'll talk about that later. This is Memorial Day weekend, and tomorrow many people will reflect and think about lives that were given up, particularly for our protection and service of our country. Veterans Day in the fall, we celebrate all veterans and we honor all veterans. Memorial Day was designed to honor those who gave up their life. And so we think of that tomorrow. And I was reminded this morning in a time when the elders met and prayed that one of the things that we ought to do, loving our neighbor, is if anyone comes to mind that has lost somebody, that we ought to be praying for them, that that's a time that we can honor those that gave their life by praying to God and asking God to send his comfort. For those who have served and put their life on the line, in a variety of different ways, and I know we have many here. We thank you again for your service. And so I pray that we would be reflective over this weekend, God's goodness and the bravery that he put on many men and women's hearts and mind. <clears throat> a familiar psalm, we'll let this be our call to worship today as we think of David uh, being content with all he had, because one of the things that I believe David realized, if I'm reading the Psalms right, he believed he had everything he needed if he looked upon the Lord, that all he really needed was the Lord. Listen to what he says with these familiar words, and let them call us to worship God this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for as long as I shall live. As Paula plays, let's spend some time reflecting upon God is all we really need, and what he asked of us is to come and give him our hearts and our minds here, beginning today, but throughout every hour of every day. Let's reflect upon the Lord and his goodness. Hello. Is this good? Can you hear me? Pull it down. All right. So, Camp Judson, um, this year's theme is Made New, which I'm really excited for, for, excited for, and I can't wait to see what Kevin and the other camp directors do with that this summer. Um, if you want a preview of how we're going to use the theme and what's going on at camp this summer, June 10th is our rally day, which is big day for camp. It's when families and kids and different churches can come and kind of get a preview for what's going on in the summer. And do I need it closer? No. Are you interrupting me now? We interrupt this minute for missions for a previously unexpected occurrence. You want to say anything else about camp? Okay. About two years ago, uh, we asked Lydia, uh, Lydia started expressing some interest as she graduated high school about feeling the Lord's call in her life to possibly seek ministry. She'll be entering uh, Geneva College this fall, uh, pursuing um, some degrees in that, what are you studying exactly? Student ministries. Student ministries will be what she'll be studying. 
And so we as a church felt like this was a good time for us to take her on as an internship about two years ago. Today is officially her last day as our intern. And uh, she's been serving us for two years, and we kind of wanted to recognize that at this moment, so we kind of snuck this out on her. She did have, I did ask her uh, to share a little bit about what the internship meant to her, and she, I'll give her the chance to say that before I really embarrass her. Um, the first thing I want to say is thank you for being such a great, loving, supportive, and challenging group of brothers and sisters. Can you just read this one? Now, who am I going to ask when I start crying? Are you ready, Randy? All right. Challenging brothers and sisters, I can't imagine growing up in a better church. I'd also like to thank you for this internship opportunity. I think it's been a productive course course and has helped prepare me for a lifetime of ministry to young people. Through my work with the youth, I have come to better understand what is important to be taught. I began to see the church and the rest of the world around me differently. I would look at my friends who had been raised in the church but had walked away from the faith and had a lot of trouble growing, and I would see that it was all stemmed from misconceptions that the church had either failed to teach them or the basic truths of God and his word and our relation to him and had somehow failed to retain it. I did not want this for our kids, and that is where I found my passion and motivation. I never understood why so many people were so passionate about working with little kids before this year. To be honest, I didn't like little kids. <laughs> Sorry, little kids. <laughs> but I saw the need in the church. I wanted to feel it, and I'm glad I did, because I see it now. I see how essential a solid foundation is, and I found that I love kids. <laughs> just not, not, not just preteens. Uh, and and three, the three-year-olds and fourth graders, high school seniors, everything in between. Perhaps the most important thing in this internship has taught me is how to view children and therefore people in general, as blessings from God, with a soul desperately in need of Christ. So thank you again for your obedience to Christ and for the extraordinary opportunity. Now I'll leave you with a request, just as Peter, Jesus left with Peter in John 21, verse 17. You want to read it? No. Okay. <laughs> He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter is grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now you did it to me. If you'd come down here with me, Lydia. Stand there in the middle. As my last official boss moves over you, there you go. The elders have uh, assembled a card of thanks to you for what you did as our intern. On behalf of the church, I've been reading this, this devotional called Jesus Calling for the last several months, and it's been really impactful in my life. So on behalf of your church, it says, with the deepest love, First Baptist Clarion, we give you this on that. There's something else we want to do today. Today and this summer will be the culmination of a lifelong dream. Uh, Lydia started dreaming of working at Camp Judson when she was about seven years old. And so this year, this summer, she will officially be employed as a counselor at Camp Judson. And so this being... This being one of our mission fields, one of the mission fields we're supporting, I'd like for us to take a moment to commission our summer missionary. Uh, she'll be going off representing our church, working in a mission that we support as a missionary for the summer. And so we had the blanket ministry make a prayer blanket for her to remind her that her church, who loves her, will be praying for her. 
And at this time, I'll invite you, because Lydia belongs to us all. If you want to come up and lay hands on her, we'll have a moment of praying over her and commissioning her to the service of a missionary for this summer. If you would join us, Randy will be voicing our prayer. Our Father, first I want to give you thanks on behalf of this entire church that you have put upon this young woman a desire to follow after you that you've given her a heart of faith. She chose to follow you, but the faith that she has isn't from her own, Lord. You blessed that by putting a great faith in her heart and a desire to serve you. So I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would continue to see this uh, come to fruition. As she goes this summer, Lord, I pray, we pray, that you would equip her with everything that she needs. First of all, that she wouldn't be homesick, for, that she would help her as her time away from family. Second of all, Father, continue to give her the heart of Jesus while she's there. Help her to be compassionate and loving and kind and just full of grace and mercy for those that she'll be ministering to. I pray, Lord, that you would equip her by causing her to have a heart to be a good co-worker, a team player this year, Father. I pray, Lord, that she would remember to be regularly in your word and regularly in prayer with you for your guidance and for your help. Lord, as we, this church, are sending her out, we, I pray, Lord, that you would put on all of our hearts a desire to regularly pray for Lydia, to give thanks for her faith, and to pray that you, God, would equip her with everything she needs. God, we want her to be safe. We want her to be happy. But we want more than anything for her faith and her love of Jesus Christ to grow even more. Use this summer to make that happen as you use this summer to prepare her for her studies in ministry this fall. We ask all these things in the name of the one that Lydia serves, Jesus Christ. Amen. As the ushers prepare to come and take our offering and our giving back to the Lord. Just to remind us that each week this portion that we give is symbolic in a lot of ways too. It's very practical in many ways. It's an act of obedience, but it's also very symbolic in that it is to remind us of a, a complete giving of ourself to the Lord. The Lord says, uh, no one can be my disciple unless they take up their cross and follow me. And it's a symbol of complete surrender. And so this, this portion we give is supposed to be symbolic of the rest of us too. Uh, that we give all we have and all that we are to the Lord. And we remind ourselves in this act of worship each day. The question is, why would we do such a thing? Why would we do such a, a sacrificial of giving all of ourselves? Why would we take up crosses and die to ourselves to follow the Lord? But we're reminded of our reasoning, and I think it's appropriate for us to think about it on this day, on Memorial Day weekend, from John's Gospel, the 15th chapter, the 13th verse. Greater love has no one than this, but he lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends for all that i have heard from my father i have made known to you and so we do this we sacrifice ourselves because he first sacrificed himself for us greater love has no one than he gives up his life for his friends let us pray dear gracious heavenly father lord we do think of you today we think of those who have died to give us many things, Father, protection and freedom and uh, a way of life that is abundant in our country. Um, things that we love about our country has been instilled because many people have followed your example and sacrificed for that, Father. And that is great, and we are thankful, and we praise them, we honor them. But, Father, it is pale in comparison but what your sacrifice has secured for us. Freedom. Real freedom. Freedom from bondage to sin. Freedom from the condemnation of sin. Freedom from being rejected by you, Father. That we are free. We are set free indeed. And we can live above the human condition. That we are made heirs with Christ. And that we have a home and a place in heaven and life eternal, Father. The abundance of what you have given us through your sacrifice because you loved us is amazing. 
And so, Father, each day, as we enjoy what we have on this earth, may we be more blessed, more happy, more uh, joyful about what we have with you, in you, and from you, Father. Receive now our gifts, and may they be symbolic of not just the practical obedience that we give to you, but a, a giving of all that we are for your sake, because you gave all that you are for our sake. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning to my little friends. How are you? What an awesome day this has been already. Amen? Amen. All right. Maybe I find a spot. Have you ever stopped to think how big and how powerful our God is? There is nothing in the world that is outside his power. God created all things. The Bible tells us that all things were created by God, all things were created for God, and all things created through him. And he is the one that just holds it all together. He gives us the rain, and he makes the grass and flowers grow. He provides food and snow and wind and water for all. There is nothing in the world that is outside of God's power. This is the God that we worship. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 147. It says, God has numbered the stars and calls them by name. And I just think that's so awesome. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding goes on and on and on forever. Can you think about that? God knows how many stars are in the sky. If you think of a clear night, when you're looking up at those stars, you can't even see all of them. Some of them are just like a little haze, the ones that are far away. You can see the ones that are the brightest and the closest, but you can't see all of them. Scientists from Harvard and Yale University have estimated that there are 30 sextillion stars. Okay, now to put that into perspective, if you take a three and 23 zeros after the three, that is an estimation of how many stars there are. And God named them all. Do you think he has little nicknames for them? Hey, Twinkles, doing a good job tonight. Hey, Sparky, I like your shine. I think if God knows the name of each and every star, how awesome and powerful. He created them, so he knows their names. But you know what? He knows you, too. God, God is so great. He knows the stars, but he also knows who you are. And God lives in our hearts if we know him and love him. But he also, he lives in us, and he's beside us, and he's with us. Everywhere we go, God is there. Everything we do, God knows. And not only is God with me, but God is with you. And God is with you, and with you, and with you. And he doesn't need to fly because he's already there. How awesome is that? So I just think when, I mean, I'm just like overwhelmed by thinking about God who has named the stars, knows my name. He knows each and every one of us. And more than that, God loves you. 
God loves you so very, 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 very much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you, for you personally, so that you will someday be in heaven with him. And that is just the most awesome, wonderful, amazing thing that I can think of and that just fills me with joy. And I just want to shout amen. Let's shout amen. Ready? Amen. All right. I have for you a star. And a little star that says, you are loved. And I want you to take this home with you, put it in your pocket, put it on your table beside your bed, put it somewhere where you're going to remember that you are loved. Who loves you? God. Okay, well, thank you. I'll pass out the stars, and you guys can go to Children's Church. We're dismissing the children as we dismiss the children to Junior Church this morning. I'll take a minute just to kind of catch everybody up. We've been talking about up groups, and I know there are some who are formed and ready to start, and this would kind of be the official start of that, but the great thing about this is you can kind of start any time, and so this is kind of how it will work, hopefully week in and week out. Each week, hopefully, most weeks anyway, there will be an additional handout. If you have one of the up group books, this one's kind of specially formulated to kind of fit right inside that. It's a little bit of an odd size. Um, if you need special sermon notes, so this will be a place where you can put your sermon notes and then there's an extra set of questions that will be you can use in your group time as you start meeting this week if you guys are prepared to do that. And they will be found up here, right there every week, so we've got that nice little thing. So that's how that can get started as we continue to develop this program together just so that we can take the sermon more than just Sunday morning, more than just our half hour or so that we have here together, that it can be reviewed and applied to our lives each and or a couple of times during the week and meeting with groups, especially groups that will be kind of helping us grow in the area that we're going to be talking about today. Today we're going to enter really the first official upwards sermon uh, as we kind of work through 1 John, the book of 1 John. Um, and the first upward is fellowship. Um, we'll look at 1 John 1 through 7. But before we do that, uh, let's have uh, Brittany, I think, is going to say a prayer for our time in the Word this morning. Brittany, if you'll pray for us, please. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come to you as humbly as we know how this morning, God. God, as Miss Jean said, you numbered the stars. God, are we so complacent that we don't remember to have our eyes open and our hearts open to your awesomeness, God, to your majesty, the fact that you knit us together in our mother's wombs. You know the number of hairs on our head, God. Lord, I ask for our hearts to be open this morning and also throughout our week, God. May our faith in you not just be confined to Sunday mornings, God. But may it go ever deeper, God, every day. Are we in so much awe of you, God, that we cannot stop thinking of who you are, God? May that be who our spirits are reflecting. May it be you, God. In the busyness of this world, God, I just ask that you help us to stop and be, and be reverent of who you are, God. Um, God, just echoing so many people that I've seen throughout this week, God, who, who don't understand who they are. They don't understand their worth. They have no idea about the love that you have for them, God. Lord, I ask that that be what we bring to the world as we sit in this space, God, and hear from Jason, God. I ask that you please give him a heart that is completely connected to you, God, in this moment, God, that he would be able to... Put in him the words that we are to hear this morning, God. I pray for him that he would be attentive to that and, and be able to answer questions when, when we have them, God, and be able to be, um, have ears that are open, heart is that, that is open, God, because he cares for us as our shepherd, God. Lord, I thank you for every person in this building. I thank you for who you have instilled in us, God, and I just ask that you please help us to have ears. God, help us to have a heart that is after you only. Um, and God, I just ask that those who are already meeting God for these upgroups, God, God, I just ask that you bless them. Lord, I ask if people are on the fence, God, that you just give them that little extra push, God, because what are we without fellowship with our body? Thank you for your body, God. Thank you for who you are, and thank you for this time. We ask this in all of your most precious names, God, in your precious name, amen. Amen. 
John has a very unique writing style um, that we understand. Uh, John's habit is uh, towards the end of his letters or his books, he kind of gives a, a purpose statement. He's usually pretty clear about what he wants to accomplish. And so the first thing I'd like for us to do is compare two verses. Uh, towards the end of John's gospel, the 20th chapter, verses 30 and 31, it says this, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written so that, and so that so that is the important part, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John makes it very clear that the verse, his reason for writing the gospel is so that people would have faith, that would come to realize the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one of God, the Son of God, the promised one of God, the one who was mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he has finally arrived. And by believing in that, you would have eternal life. In the first letter of John, John, 1 John 5, he does a similar thing towards the end of this letter. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And so what I want us to see is kind of this purpose statement of John. He writes the gospel so that people understand what being regenerated, being saved, being converted, putting their faith in God, being born again, however you want to say that. He, he wrote the gospel that, so that people would come to faith in Christ and, and, and have eternal life. He writes the letter, 1 John, he says, so that you may know you have eternal life. And so the purpose of the letter of 1 John is assurance of faith. So one is to tell you how to have faith or what faith looks like, what it is to be saved. And the other one is to give you evidence of that regeneration or of that salvation or of that conversion. And so it's a different whole purpose. It's a, it's a letter focusing on the assurance of our faith. As I've been t explaining that we'll be looking through these different things that we can kind of look at. What are, have we been saved? Is that, are we okay? Have we really received salvation? And if we have, then how do we kind of get off lukewarmness? How do we get off center and continue to grow? What areas? So the things that define our, our assurance of our salvation are also areas that we can pursue to grow more. I use a number, it, you can say, you know, John gives us evidence of salvation and endeavors to pursue to grow in our faith. Or we could say John gives us proof of our salvation and pursuits for us to follow in, in maturity. Or you could use affirmation of our faith and action to be, uh, to, for us to pursue in growing our faith. Proof and validity of our salvation as well as a pursuit for us to undertake. And that's the frame I'm going to use through this series is proof and pursuit. Proof that we are saved, something for us to pursue in our maturity as we move upward in following God. So let's move now to the first few verses, first seven verses of 1 John. That's supposed to be 1 John 1, 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at 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 and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and what we heard proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that you so that your joy may be made complete. These th this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Quickly, a little highlight here, verses 1 and 2, what was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we looked at, what we touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the word of life is Jesus. So John is saying everything we've seen, heard, touched, been part of with Jesus, we make that known to you. We meant it, what was meant, the life that was manifested, what we've seen, what we testify, what we proclaim to you is eternal life in Jesus. 
if you kind of look at verses 1 and 2, you could, if you want to write in your Bible, you could do a little arrow over there and says, see the gospel. Verses 1 and 2 is John just kind of highlighting, if you want to know all this, read my gospel. <laughs> this is his summation statement. <laughs> see the gospel, what we've heard, what we've seen, all the things, the miracles that we touched Jesus after his resurrection. We heard his teachings. He manifested himself to us. I've told you all about that already in my gospel. So if you want to hear that, read the gospel. That's kind of verses 1 and 2 summed up. <laughs> see also the gospel. He moves on in the three, so what we've heard and proclaimed to you, so that you will have fellowship with us. One of the, the first proof for our salvation and the first thing for us to pursue as we want to move upward in a relationship with God is fellowship. Fellowship is, is, is just super important. He goes, we tell you this so that you will have fellowship with us, and our fellowship was with God and with each other. Fellowship is the first thing on his mind. And so we see in this thing that fellowship is an expectation of a person who's been born again, of a person who's been regenerated. Because our fellowship is, is conversion, our conversion connects us with one another. The Bible references this in all kinds of ways. We are brothers and sisters. We all belong to a joint priesthood. We are a holy nation, a, a separated people. We are connected very interpersonally because of our conversion, because of our faith. We celebrate this monthly. We have communion. And I've broken this down many times. Our common union that we are, we're connected, we have a union to one another through the blood of Christ. And so our conversion, our salvation connects us to one another, that we have a very intentional and expected fellowship with one another. But not only does it connect it, we are integral to one another's faith, that we help one another. We give and receive help from one another, and we talked about this, and this is the idea of fellowships, what we talked about in Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking together together of ourselves, that we are connected and integral to one another's faith. The fact of the matter is, though he, there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Now, the Lone Ranger was one of my favorite uh, shows as a kid. We used to watch him all the time. Remember the Lone Ranger? But it's kind of interesting. The Lone Ranger isn't even alone. Why? Tonto. That's right. Well, you mean me, Kimosabi? The Lone Ranger would have been nothing without his sidekick. My other favorite Western that me and my dad used to watch was the one called the Cisco Kid. Cisco and Pancho. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. That fellowship, connection to the body is expected. The, the, Paul writes about the body over and over and over and how we're different parts of the body. If you walk into a room and, and there's a person over here and there's a hand over there, you go, wait a second, something's wrong. That belongs over here with the body. We're supposed to be connected very closely with each other. And when parts of the body are severed off, something has gone terribly wrong. And so fellowship is expected. I was recently having a conversation with someone who wanted to challenge me on this idea. And they said, we were talking about church attendance, and they said, I just want to tell you, you know, I can get my fishing pole, and this wasn't Jeff, by the way, just so everybody knows, and go down to the river, go down to the creek, and sit there in nature and worship God like I never have before. That I'm there in his creation, looking at the wonders of his creation, looking at the starry sky, as Miss Jean said, and just worship. And I said, you know what? I agree. That some of the greatest moments of worship in my life have been when I've been hanging off the side of a tree in a tree stand waiting for some poor unexpecting little critter to walk underneath me and watch the birds as they lighten the trees above my head or feel the breeze as it blows or see the snow fall or watch whatever happens in nature 
that I have real moments of clarity and real moments of union and real moments of worship and deep prayer in those moments alone in the field. And, I, and everybody has their place. So yes, you can worship alone. But the only problem is you can't be obedient alone because as the scripture says in Hebrews, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves. Why is that? Because you can't fellowship alone. There's no way to fellowship by yourself. Fellowship requires others. And there's an expectation of fellowship because conversion connects us to one another and we're integral to one another's growing faith. And so the Bible expects us to be together for fellowship. So let me take just a moment to define what we mean by fellowship because in the modern day Baptist world, and I talked to some Methodists and they seem to have the same idea, that fellowship has been boiled down to covered dish dinners. And we fellowship quite a lot. And I have the figure to prove it. But that's not the idea of biblical fellowship. Now, I honestly have nothing against covered dish dinners. I think we should have them every week, twice a week even. I'm all for covered dish dinners. And covered dish dinners might be an environment where fellowship can take place. They often are an environment. But what the Bible means by fellowship is far deeper than just hanging out together, just talking with one another. It's more about the content of our conversations. What I've been talking about over covered weeks, having holy conversations, conversations set apart for God. The biblical word for the uh, for it's a word that you've heard, koinonia, uh, this intimate relationship between people. And it, and it comes from a biblical word, the root of that word meaning common or to have something in common. Biblical fellowship is centered around God, the Trinity. So he is the most important thought or discussion and is always present. If we're having biblical fellowship, it's centered around God, and He's the most important thought and the topic of discussion in just about all ideas of fellowship. I want to define the fellowship with three kind of areas, three different words to kind of grasp what that is. The first one is influence. There it is. Influence. Influence is the people who have influence in your life. That those who can say something and it changes you or talk to you about something and it makes you think differently or at least challenges people that because you don't allow everyone to do that. Everyone who talks to you doesn't have influence over you. We have a saying for that, right? When someone talks to you that doesn't have influence on you, you say it goes in one ear and out the other. And what you're saying is that person spoke to me. But it has no influence over me. It goes in one ear and out the other. Fellowship is when it goes in the ear and it stays. And it starts to rattle around. And it starts to make you consider and think. That's what giving influence is. And that's fellowship. You choose who you fellowship with. Another word that helps us define that is inquiries. It's the people you go to when you have those questions. Those really important questions of life. Those who you seek out like, I don't know what to do about this. What do you think about this? And the this is some significant, important question you have. Some, some wondering about the Bible or about life or about li uh, life after life or, or the reality of life or the purpose of life. The, those really big, monumental questions and situations you find yourself in. And who do you go to to say, give me guidance, answer these questions, help me answer these questions. So it's those who have influence, those who you go to with your inquiries, those, those really important inquiries. That's who you're fellowshipping with. And finally, now I was asked if this was a real word. I don't know, but it was in the thesaurus. And so I'm putting my faith today in the thesaurus. I was taught to trust the thing, and so there it was. Incautious. The definition of the word is supposed to mean those who you let your guard down with. Those who you cease being cautious with. Because we have relationships, we all know we have these relationships with people where we're kind of guarded. 
We're cautious about what we say. We're cautious about how we say it. We're cautious about saying the wrong thing. We're cautious about making sure we say the right thing. And so we have these guards up. Well, that's not fellowship. Fellowship is when we let those down and we start to become transparent. We start to to be unguarded. Let me share the deep secrets that I hide from other people. Let me tell you my real thoughts. Let me risk bearing my soul to you. And so it's these three ideas, I think, that really define what biblical fellowship is. And that's what we're supposed to have with each other. We're supposed to allow our brothers and sisters, those who are born again, have influence in us. We're supposed to go to them and God and his word for our inquiries of life. And we're supposed to be incautious with each other. Let our guards down. Be transparent. There's a song by um, Casting Crowns that has a line that goes talking about the church. says, are we just happy I can't remember it now. Plastic people under happy plastic steeples. Talking about are we not gar- are we guarded with each other? Or are we we come and put on our face and our mask before one another and we ask each other, "How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? Fine. Praise God. Praise God." And we pass each other and we move on. That we're supposed to be really able to trust one another. And so I think this is some of the best definition. It's notice the ends but maybe the way to sum it up is who the people you fellowship with are the people you allow in. Influence, inquiries, incautious. Who are you fellowshipping with? Who do you allow in to your life? When I was in college, I was a member of the Baptist Student Union, and the name of our fellowship then, or the big theme apparently, because Brianna remembered it when she was in college, was koinonia. You've heard this term. That's koinonia is what we celebrate here. In our, where we met for Baptist Student Union, we had a big banner and it had koinonia fellowship kind of like this. And it had this drawing to show what koinonia, this type of fellowship is uh, there. You see the arrows coming out from your heart. That's the putting out into other people's lives because you're fellowshipping with them. But if you notice, the yellow is also arrows coming in to your heart. And so this is what fellowship is supposed to be, heart to heart, heart going out to other hearts, hearts receiving in from other hearts. It's an in and out, give and take, help and receive help from other believers. This is koinonia. This is real fellowship, heart to heart, in and out from the depths of our heart. So that's fellowship defined. So let's talk briefly about fellowship's companions. So who are we supposed to have this fellowship with? This sounds great. Who's it supposed to be with? Well, it's two people or two groups of people or one person. It's first fellowship with God. We, what we've seen, what we heard, we claim so that you will have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, joined by the Holy Spirit. So we have fellowship with God. And we also have then, consequently, fellowship with others. Verses 6 and 7 kind of explain this and help us understand that this is really a two-way street. This isn't option. Well, I'm going to have fellowship with God, but not others. Or I'm going to have fellowship with others and not God. That can't happen. And that's explained to us in 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him, that being God, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if you walk in the light as he himself is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Is that it's both and. If we have fellowship with God, we will have fellowship with others. If we have fellowship with others, we will have fellowship with God. It's a two-way street going back and forth between those two. And that they both are present in our lives and should be expected to be present in our lives. We have fellowship both with God and others. John will later point out how actually our fellowship with one another proves or is proof of our fellowship with God. If we can't fellowship with one another, then our question is, we probably don't have fellowship with the other. Fellowship's companions. 
It's interesting, though, the Bible also has prohibitions against fellowship, too. That this isn't just a, you know, all come, all serve kind of idea. That the, gar- the, the Bible tells us to guard our fellowship in some kind of ways, to be, to be protective of our fellowship. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, starting with verse 14, it says this, Do not be bound together with under- unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Or, or what harmony has Christ with Biel? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And so there's instructions in the scriptures for us to be careful about who we fellowship with. This intimate fellowship, the real in, who we allow in our lives. Now, the last phrase of this Therefore, come out of the midst and be separate, says the Lord, has some very significant qualities for us. The word holy, this be separate, is what holy means, to separate yourself from the rest of the world, to to have fellowship with holy beings so that you too will be holy, that we are to separate ourselves and, and guard our fellowship. That's kind of the idea behind what we call church. The word church means a called out assembly. It's a group of people called out of another group to form a separate group. And that's what church means. We are a called out assembly, called out of the world and called out of the ways of the world to have fellowship with one another. Now, it's probably important for us to understand, though, that this calling out, this separation can be taken a little too far. It's not the complete separation like we would think about some of the Amish who completely isolate themselves from other people. We're not supposed to be isolated from people. We just fellowship with each other. So understand, we should have relationships with non-believers. We should have non-believers as friends. But when it comes to our inquiries, when it comes to influence, and when it comes... To what was the other eye? Uh, being incautious, that's with other believers. There's a difference because Jesus showed us this well. The, the Pharisees hated Jesus because he's always hanging out with who? Sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and all these horrible people that they couldn't stand to be around. And he's like, this is who you need to be. But he fellowshiped with his disciples although he had friends outside that circle. And I, remember, I just want to remind you, there's a huge difference between associating with people and assimilating the people you associate with. And so the Bible tells us to associate with everyone, but assimilate the behaviors of our fellow Christians who we fellowship with. And so the difference there is, who you allow to influence you, who you allow to answer your inquiries, and who you allow to be in, who you allow yourself to be incautious with, who you let your guard down with. Because the Bible tells us very clearly what the effects of fellowship are. There's lots of verses to tell us fellowship has significant effect on our life. 1 Corinthians 15:3, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you fellowship with the wrong people, you allow them into your life, it will have corrupting effects on you. So Proverbs twenty two twenty four: do not associate with a man given to anger or, you, or go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his way and find a snare for yourself. Be careful who you fellowship with. James 4, 4. You adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Be careful who you fellowship with. Fellowship also has the converse effects, too, or the, uh, the reverse effects. Proverbs thirteen twenty: He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So, Who you fellowship with will affect you. 
Come on. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Picking the right people to fellowship determines your path. Or, as we have said in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the own assembling together of ourselves as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. Let us fellowship with people of faith so that we have good we allow the right people into our lives. This is part of what we want. And so a couple of quick tests as you look at my fellowship, our fellowship, your fellowship, what that looks like. Two quick questions we can answer. Who do you long to be around? Who do you long to avoid? Especially on those days when it gets kind of tough, when you have those major inquiries in your life, when you need somebody to influence you, when you need to let your guard down and let somebody know what's really going on in your heart and your life, who do you say, I just need to talk to, and I hope I don't run into because I don't want. Who is that person? Maybe the simplest way to put it is who do you allow in? When you have those inquiries, when you have that, when you look for influence and when you want to let your guard down and be incautious with people, who is that? Is that a brother and sister? Is it a colleague? Who is it? The way this plays out in life, I'll give you a quick story that I once heard of. There was a lady who was having an affair on her husband and she was struggling with that. And she started coming to church and talking to people at church. And they were encouraging her not to do that. She had actually started to have some conviction, like realize what she was doing was wrong. And she was like, well, maybe, maybe I need to stop this. Maybe, maybe I need to repent of this. Maybe I need to go back and do what I know is right. And after a couple of weeks of that, she got really curious and really convicted in her heart. So what she did was turned, went to her office one day and talked to the colleagues at office who were her buddies. And then she shared the concerns of her heart about this matter. And, they, and she goes, you know, what I'm really afraid of is if, if I don't do something about this, I might end up in hell. And the friends told her, oh, don't worry about that. We're going there too. And when we get there, we're going to have a big party. And so you're going to be with us. Don't, don't worry about that. And she didn't. And so what I'm saying, this is influence. This is the inquiries of life. This is the people she chose to be incautious with. These are the people who she was fellowshipping with. And it led down the wrong path. And so who we really fellowship with is important. And John is telling right there in the beginning... This is evidence of your salvation. You want to be with those who are going to help you move upwards in your relationship with Christ. Fellowship is key to that. And I praise God and thank God for the fellowship we have here. I hope you do too.